0: Welcome to the Our Father Stories podcast, where we share stories of ordinary people experiencing the kingdom of God in everyday life. That's part of our mission here at Our Father Lutheran Church in South Denver, where I'm a pastor. My name is Nate Paragoy, and we're all about helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ. To my left at this very moment is my good friend and my co-host, Pastor Micah Steiner. Hey, everybody. How you doing?
1: Great. Great. Yeah. Neat. That's we got a, good. We got a good story today. Sandy and Steve Clark. Yeah. What can we expect? Uh, wonderful things. Uh, first of all, we're going to get into some of the uh, cool ways in which God has worked in their life through different experiences. Uh, Billy Graham is going to make an appearance in this podcast, for those of you who are Billy Graham fans. But then we're also going to talk about some of the transitions that they've seen and experienced as uh, lay people, also leaders as part of our congregation through the last 30 years. Sandy's been a member for 30 years. That is older than my two children combined. That's quick math. Math. Yeah. Uh,
0: You know, I hope that you're gonna be encouraged by this. Whether you're new to our Father, or whether you've been here for a while, there's going to be something here for you. Stay tuned to the end because you'll hear Micah and I unpack the key points that we heard that we want to make sure that you hear and walk away with something concrete to do when you finish this episode. Thanks for joining us. Let's check it out.
2: We're Steven Sandy Clark. I've been a member here for 30 years.
3: I've been a member for 26 or 27 years.
2: We live here in Centennial.
3: Sandy, you were telling me about
0: growing up in the church and some experience that you had as a young person when you had to kind of rethink what it meant for you to be a Christian.
2: So my dad was a pastor, and pastor's kids are always minor celebrities in their own congregations. I guess I was super bad in Sunday school until about second grade when Mrs. Hennig, who I still remember, looked at me and said, you will not behave that way. And I didn't anymore. But uh, when I was in high school, the Billy Graham crusade was coming through Oakland, California, and we lived in Marin County and somehow our congregation became very involved in that. Many of the adults became counselors and went through the the training for that. Our choir participated. The Billy Graham crusade had a 5,000 member choir. Uh, It was an amazing experience to sing in that. Um, Billy Graham focused on youth that year. He had three services that were just focused on youth and over the time he had almost half a million people attending his crusade there in oakland california but one of the nights i felt the urge to go down on the field and i'd never done anything like that and the counselor there um, asked me if i was a christian and i told him that my dad was a pastor and he told me he didn't ask about my father. Hmm. He asked about me. And that was a kind of a light turning on for me, that my relationship needed to be personal and not just taken for granted. And I think a lot of us who grow up in the church really struggle with that. Getting People who don't grow up in the church have an experience they can tell you about, a time when they came to know Christ. Yeah. But if you grow up with it every day, I don't know that you always realize how personal and special that is. And so I still, to this day, attribute that Billy Graham crusade to making me face my faith for myself.
1: Huh,
0: wow. When you say, I had to face my faith, what came out on the other side of that question? I mean, how, how, what was personal about it in a new way? after you heard someone say, I didn't ask about your dad, I asked about you.
2: It's just that I couldn't take it for granted anymore. Um, sure, I had knew all the Bible studies. I went through confirmation in the day when we memorized everything. That the entire ended. catechism. This is most certainly true. <laughs> and, um, you know, being the pastor's kid, you had to find every Bible verse fastest, and you had to memorize everything completely. And it was just like, hey, that really doesn't matter. What matters is your personal relationship with Jesus, not how many Bible verses you know, uh, not just going to church every Sunday.
1: So there's kind of, it seems like there was a little bit of a performative Christianity
2: yeah, uh, at, at that time. Yeah, that's a good way to put yeah. it.
1: So if I do the things, then that shows that I'm a Christian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that Which is probably nothing new. I, I mean, I would imagine that all Christians at some point, because we're simply human beings wrestle with that of like uh, you know value me, God, because I went to church every day this month uh, I give money to the church I, but at the same time, uh, we know from scripture that it also says you're 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 saved by grace, not through work, so that no one can boast the the performative part goes away right how old were you?
2: I, that was between my junior and senior years of high school.
1: So I'm thinking this is kind of like today, at least in our Lutheran circle, we've got the National Youth Gathering. Yes. And many kids will come back from that and say, oh, that was the moment when I realized um, God was real. Uh, maybe I maybe I always believed God was real, but he was real to me in a personal way.
0: Yeah, the, Micah, you're speaking of something that I think is really important for us to recognize, that there are two components of ours. Salvation, there's the objective part of that and the subjective part of that. And we could look back on the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's the season of Lent after all, and say, objectively, I'm saved by grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that came to me in baptism or the moment of my conversion. And so fundamentally, that's there. But for all of us, there's the subjective reevaluating that, the, what we feel about the objective truth of that. That, that you had a chance to revisit in a really critical
1: time in your life? Don't you think... That, I think Lutherans... So this is our problem as Lutherans. Uh, we sometimes, because we're so concerned about good theology... And by the way, I'm very concerned about good theology. Let me just state the... Before I get kicked out. I'll vouch out. for that. Thank you. Uh, so we're so concerned that sometimes though, we get afraid of feelings. And we want to... Like my big joke, every couple... Times a year, I'll make fun of us as as Lutherans sitting in the pews, as we're singing a song, stand up, stand up for Jesus, Right, sitting down <laughs> on her. You know, like <laughs> the irony of that, right? Mm-hmm. Because, oh, well, God forbid, I, I don't want, I, I shouldn't show any emotion. So, so what's the balance uh, between having an emotional experience, which is good. I mean, I've been brought to tears in a worship service before. I had an emotional experience because the Holy Spirit broke my heart versus using emotion as a I don't know, manipulation, I think that's probably our concern, is we don't want to manipulate somebody. We also don't want to isolate somebody who doesn't ever have a feeling but has just as much faith because of what the Holy Spirit did to their hearts. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
2: And I brought up the Asbury revival experience. Yeah. Only the Holy Spirit knows whose hearts are touched by experiences there. And we may not know for decades. Um, I'm sure that for some, it's just an emotional thing and their friends are all involved. And so they got involved, but that's still better than sitting home in the dorm room, watching TV. So Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: maybe explain in case somebody's unfamiliar with the Asbury revival, what what that was.
2: Uh, College, where was the college? Kentucky. In Kentucky where they felt that they had an enormous sprinkling from the Holy Spirit and filled all the churches and uh, religious opportunities in that town for, was it 12 days? I
1: thought 15. I think it might have been 15 days.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: It was kind of like Jaws, where he says, we need to get a bigger boat. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: Uh, Because they just had more and more people and more and more days. It just kept growing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, some people were just curious. Um, Some people were wrapped up in the moment. But what an opportunity for the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Steve, you're worshiping with Sandy. And I heard you say a moment ago, this is something my heart really needed. Yes. What was it for you that you found here as you started to re-engage with the life of the Church and with Sandy?
3: I'm going to go back to when I was going to the Catholic Church. So they had this uh, the sign of peace where you shook hands with the person around you. And I had long hair and stuff. I had hair. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I feel you, brother. Look, I feel you. I, right here.
3: You and me. I, uh, I had hair, and it was long. <laughs> and some people chose not... Colorado Springs was a military town, and, and it just... People would refuse to shake my hand. And that hurt. And uh, coming to our father, people were very friendly, I, and they were welcoming. And... Uh, I always found people who would say hi and and you know know my name and things like that, and it was it was a pretty neat situation. And like a good good Lutheran, we sat in the back pew with and, kids, <laughs> with sure. kids, yeah, and, classic. Uh, uh, we knew everybody about around us, and it it uh, it got to be like the south stands, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So it was kind of like family yes a, a welcoming environment, and over the years you you guys have seen uh, a lot of growth. Uh, what attracts you to our father now? you know what about our mission and vision um, is exciting to you
2: Well, we're part of a missional community which helps break down the huge church. you know I feel like my handbill ringers are another Community, it it's important as the church has grown and grown, to figure out what your interests are in the church and attach yourself there. And if if you just come on Sunday in a church this size, I think it's still lonely.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a challenge for uh, every church, uh, really, of any size. And that's what I've seen. I mean, I've been here fifteen years. And the the uniqueness of our father, I believe, has always been the welcoming people. So it's part of our DNA, is is to be to be in, to invite people in. The challenge then is how do we keep people uh, in that relationship, in that family, as the family gets bigger.
3: So we also participated in the uh, separate and a few other things that don't exist now. But I don't think it would hurt. To reinstate some of that because we still hang out with some people that we had separate with, and I remember uh, one of our special groups of friends. Uh, they may not want to hear this, but <laughs> <laughs> we, we were we were. No, you don't even have to edit this. I'm 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 actually proud of it. We we were about 15 years younger than them, and. I, I kind of go, oh, yeah, great, Sandy. We're going to really like this. And we do. We're, we're still great friends, and we hang out. We see each other uh, about four times, four a, times a year. Times a year. Yeah. We call each ourselves the Fab Four, and uh, meaning the four f- families. And uh, it's just neat. That's it, great. So anytime you can break the big group into smaller groups, And you can meet people on an intimate basis. I also loved the huddle. We were members of the huddle. We were also members of small group. uh, And it was all those things made it intimate. And you said things to people you probably wouldn't say to people in, in a church situation yeah. yeah
2: when steve talks about supper eight that was a group that would rotate and then you'd change and rotate again and other than saying a prayer for before dinner there was really no church or bible talk at all but what that did was allow you that when you walked into the fellowship hall you probably knew someone there. Hmm. and you probably could go strike up a conversation that was natural and, and not forced, um, that kind of group was a big benefit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah Yeah, that, and that's going to be interesting for our missional communities uh, to develop that kind of sense of family, because yeah. um, I, I think the big thing that has changed for us as a congregation is the culture around us. You know, even even 15 years ago, when I first came, uh, pretty much everybody I knew called themselves a Christian. And there wasn't a huge sense of urgency of, of reaching your neighbor, because we kind of felt secure. We kind of were like, well, you know, most of my friends, my family, my... there's been this monumental shift in 15 years. It's been, it's been remarkable to see how quickly the decline has come. And so the, the mission of the church stays the same, um, but the, the ways in which we engage in the mission, that, that has shifted. So, missional community. For those who don't know, uh, this first time listening, because we talk about MCs a lot, uh, is is designed around three components: uh, a prayer devotional or upward relationship with God, uh, inward relationships with each other, and then going out into the community and and, and serving. So, my prayer is that all, all of our MCs will develop that level of of um, connection relationships as they go forward.
2: Yeah. You talk about the change, so. My father used to talk about his church in Seattle uh, that he went to in 1956 was a starter congregation. And he said, then you built the little church, opened the doors, and the people in the neighborhood all came. Yeah. That's not true anymore. Now they complain that you park your car in front of their house on Sunday.
1: Yeah. You, you guys were talking about community that was not necessarily in your same demographic. There, there were differences about you. And that's a real barrier for people to uh, develop community, especially now in our culture. If you sense any sort of difference, it's almost like we we band ourselves around people who think the same way, look the same way, act the same way. What value did you get from being a part of a community that was different than your yourselves?
3: I think one of the biggest takeaways was uh age isn't a thing it's like the oldest couple in the in in our group is the youngest at heart and the most brave and the most adventurous and it's just amazing uh you just gotta admire them for all that they're still doing and i I would be timid to to do uh traveling the world things like that it's It's just amazing to me so I'd say age is not a thing um, i'm I'm sure you could go on and on on different taking just different uh, attributes, but I don't believe that I think you can find. That people are pretty much, they probably share 80% of the same values and things like that. And it just, it's its easy once you just don't think about it. So.
0: Sandy, what would you say?
2: Mm, close to the same. Um, we found we had more that tied us together more to laugh about, more to talk about um, than if we were carbon copies of each other. So sometimes um, we look at things from different directions and that's not all bad to have someone say, hey why do you think that way? Or just say, you know, even things like you know, that's pretty hurtful, yeah. uh, and you aren't realizing it.
0: It's speaking of directions it reminds me of that sort of paradox about how when you look at people much younger than you, you think like you're like pretty much the same age. Yeah. But when you look at people who are just a little bit older than you, you're like, oh no, we're that they're way older, than way me. older than it's me. It's different. <laughs> I'm curious, uh, Steve and Sandy, uh, having been here for decades, what is it about our Father that feels uh, very similar to the place that you joined 25 and 30 years ago? I mean, what, some things are different. Some things are still the same. What do you still love about who our Father has always been?
2: Our Father has always preached the gospel. That is still true. I feel like we've always been blessed with good preachers it's very rare that I have to sharpen my elbow and, and give Steve <laughs> the nod.
0: Are you listening?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I feel, you know, good musicians draw good musicians. We've always had a good, strong music program. That's important to me. Um, so that those are the things that make it feel like home for me.
3: So going through some of the transitions, I felt like uh, the original pastor put together some, some good programs, like the intentional, uh, what do they call that, Sandy? He He left early and then brought in the intentional interim, interim pastor, who was an administrator just keeping the church alive, but he was teaching to follow the kingdom and to make, think of the kingdom and not worry about that things have been interrupted. We had a ton of great parishioners and great past uh, substitute pastors that came in, and I, Felt like the the level of of the preaching kept, remained the same. Our Sunday schools were were really good. We have great lay people here, and
2: so there was huge lay involvement. And you remember that, Micah, that just kept everything uh, on task yeah. and growing.
0: I you know it, I'm really I'm very aware, having been a pastor here eight years, as we're about to celebrate our 50th anniversary as a congregation, that I've been here for a small window of time in a larger story of our Father. And Micah, you mentioned a moment ago the season of trust that we've enjoyed, the unity that we have with the congregation, with our leadership, and among our congregation and our staff, um, that all of that is... Uh, due to the fact that people who have come before me and before you and before us, the four of us, you know, the founding pastor, Pastor Hinchey, the leaders who have helped us become who we are, the lay people who have been involved for so long, the staff that got us brought to this place. Uh, sometimes I step in the pulpit and I think to myself, you know, there's going to be another man standing here in this pulpit saying something to forgive the sins of these people long after I'm here. And there have been other men who have come and stood, said the same thing. And I'm just a guy, one guy among many, who have come before me and who will come after me. And so we have this sense, I think I'll speak for Mike and for our team right now, that uh, we're really benefiting. We're standing on the shoulders of all those who have come before us. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who's been here for a while and is in the tension, feeling tension of, I liked this about then, back then. I kind of like these things about now, but I'm not really sure about some of them. What advice would you give them? What would you say to encourage them?
2: Well, it isn't all about us baby boomers anymore. I have millennial children, Gen X, Gen Z, and I really don't, want to be part of an organization that still thinks that my generation group is the only important group still and so I have to change my expectations a little bit to make it so that it isn't that way. Um, I play piano once a month for a dying Lutheran church and there are no kids ever and the church just gets smaller every time because the founding members are are old, hospitalized, here and there. That's not my vision for our Father. And that means that just like when I watch commercials on television anymore, they aren't directed to me. And not every bit of how our Father functions can be directed to Steve and Sandy Clark um, and our generation anymore.
0: Sandy and Steve have been around our father for a while. Um, Sandy was the president of the congregation when I got here. And every time I have a conversation with either one of them, I always walk away impressed by how humble and how thoughtful and how kind
1: they are. I I loved them. I also appreciate steve's sense of humor uh we had there's There's many jokes and things that were said that will be cut on the editing floor, uh not because they were bad, but we had to you know condense the conversation yeah. so Steve is funny if you don't know him uh take him out for coffee yeah, and if you take me out for a beer, i'll
0: give you the audio though, all this stuff. Uh, Three things we want to talk about in a longer extended. kind of outro conversation here today. The first is about uh, Sandy's story. The second's about our uh, mission. And then the third is about uh, missional communities. Let's jump into each one of these three things first. Let's talk first about Sandy's story and how it became more personal to her, her faith.
1: Yeah. I, I love that she was able to, or willing to share her story with the Billy Graham crusade we do get a little uptight about about feelings. You do. Well, I mean, what are you talking about? Mr. Feeling. Nate on the Myers-Briggs has zero feeling. What is that category? Uh, the thinking, feeling
0: kind yes. of uh, temperament. I'm high T, high thinking, low feeling.
1: So if you've ever seen Pastor Abel uh, open up Nate's I metaphorical... This is <laughs> yes, I don't think necessary. I don't think you need to hear this. And program him for feelings. This is why. But... This is important because it is okay to have an emotional experience as a Christian. It is okay to be overwhelmed by the Spirit to the point where it gets you to think more deeply about your theology, gets you to explore God's Word because that's where the, the transformation happens. Scripture promises that the, the, the words of God are living and active. Double-edged sword is how the writer of Hebrews described it. So, So this is a good thing. And for Sandy, what that did, the the question that was asked her, I'm not concerned about your dad's faith. Tell me about your faith. It forced her to think about the the, the two questions, do I believe this and why do I believe?
0: That reminds me of one of our values. Uh, We have a number of pairs of things, and one of them is head and heart, uh, that we believe in biblical truth and a deepening relationship with Christ. There's a Thinking and a feeling, part of that. Yes, Micah Steiner. The feels and Sandy experienced that through the preached, proclaimed word, in this case of Billy Graham. Now, funny enough, uh, you can't see this because we're sitting in our studio, but on the bookshelf directly behind us, uh, we have a number of uh, books that I grabbed from my office when we were moving out, just because I wasn't going to read them anymore. And one of them is Billy Graham's autobiography. That is divine providence.
1: Yeah, that that this
0: happened. Uh, So so Sandy had that experience. I think every question or every Christian ought to be asking the same question. What do I believe and why?
1: I don't know if I told you this. Uh, A couple weeks ago, somebody asked me, a non-Christian asked me a very interesting question, said, uh, how do you know God is real? And it was different. Normally people will ask, "Well, why do you believe in God or or, how is scripture true? And for me, I had to really sit and, and wrestle with this. Well, how do... First of all, how do I answer that for myself? How do I know? Which, by the way, short story I, I pointed to creation. That's my thing. Then, how do I articulate that to another person? So, if you're sitting here listening to this and, and you've not thought that through, how do you answer the question? Do I believe this, and why? Spend some time doing that this week.
0: Yeah, some of that. Sometimes it's intellectual stuff. Um, you know, that was true for me in my thirties. I've been doing this fifteen years, so you know, well into my ministry. I'm 41 now, but I just had to recently went, Why do I believe in the resurrection? Yeah. You know, is this true? Is it personal? Uh, so you're in good company if you're asking those questions too. Great. Uh, let's move on to item two. Let's talk about our mission and our vision. Yeah. We recognize that Sandy and Steve uh, have been here 30 and 25 years, respectively. They've seen some things change here. That's good, that's normal. Uh, Micah, say a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I've been here, I think 16 years is how long I've been. Uh, you know, I've seen tremendous transition just in those short years of time. And one thing that we have to recognize, and I, I guess you could call it the elephant in the room, is that sometimes transition, sometimes change is difficult uh, because we get to know, uh, we get comfortable with a certain pastor, and we get comfortable with, the, with a certain building. I mean, even artwork, we've got that Christ rising statue. And uh, when we moved it, there were some uncomfortable feelings. You know, I'm just going to call it out and say what it is. And we do that because we, we like the, the, the familiarity. And I think if we can be honest, and I'm, I'll just speak for myself, it is more comfortable for me to, to stay the same because I, my needs are being met. Hmm. We want to transition away from our needs being met into something that God is actually doing and moving in the hearts of His people so let's let's talk about how we explain that uh, here at Our Father.
0: So the shift from sort of a me-centered yeah. attachment to church to a kingdom-centered yes. view of a church. Uh, it's pretty normal to like a church for reasons that are different than the reasons that you left your old church. Yep. Uh, we could call some good things about church. We could have four buckets, put a sticker on each one of those four things and call them uh, the programs of a church, yep the people who we get attached to, the place, and the personalities. And as a congregation grows and changes, some of those things grow and change. People leave. uh, Pastors uh, leave or retire.
1: Someone sits in your seat on a Sunday morning on the right-hand side of the, the church... As normal. (laughs) Uh, Just like when you have a family, you go from zero kids
0: to one kid to two kids to three kids. The way in which your family changes over time as it adds more and more people changes. We've had some growth over 50 years. We're about to celebrate our 50th anniversary. And so while those provisions are good, programs, number one, people, number two, the place, the building, the personalities, number four, there's a lot of Ps.
1: You could say, in fact, that it's four Ps in a podcast (laughs) hi oh that's fantastic thank you uh we would call those lower story provisions and it's a bit
0: of a challenge to climb uh, up the steps and see something that endures beyond um, those provisions when they change uh of upper story vision that and here we're about our mission helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in christ and that will continue to happen Long after I'm here or gone, I hope, and uh, you know, long after if this building were to burn down tomorrow,
1: yeah, or you know, a pastor takes a call, or a pastor retires, or a person that you're really connected to uh, gets a job transfer and moves across the the state, that that should not change the experience that you have in the church. If we're all focused on the same thing, the kingdom, the kingdom.
0: Yeah. So you were telling me recently, I think Stan St. and Steve referred to this too. Uh, that there was a big emphasis during a time of transition after the founding pastor, Don Hinchi, who was here 36 years. The interim pastor talked about a kingdom-centered yeah. centered view of the
1: church. Yeah. So, so we, uh, we were gathered. There was a little bit of uh, shock and sadness because uh, Pastor Don uh, and some of our staff at that time were well-loved people, well-loved personalities. And what Pastor Teske did that was really, really good, that, that helped us keep our focus on the main thing, was almost every time he preached, he'd ask the question, are you thinking about, are you concerned about the kingdom of God? And that reframes our experience at church, because then, uh, in a good way, we're challenged that when we walk in the building, we're not just thinking about our own needs, which, by the way, we should say are good and natural. Yeah. I mean, we come here because we want good preaching. We want to be moved. We want to experience and receive the sacrament.
0: Great music that that lifts our spirits, our feelings. Our
1: feelings are good. However, it can't just be about us. We we also have this this sending, uh, and that's where we get back to our own mission statement, helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life. Because people outside of our, our, our church are, are dying without the gospel. They're, they're missing out on something that could radically, radically transform and change their lives. So it's probably not, are my
0: needs being met? Do I care about that? Or do I care about the kingdom? Right. It's not an either or.
1: It's both and.
0: Yeah. It's a primary and a secondary. Yeah. yeah. It's primarily on a good day. I care about the kingdom. I'm living on mission uh, in my own life personally. I'm okay if my needs aren't met. They still matter. I need to ask for what I need. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's yeah. okay to have a sense of loss. I mean, there, there are people yeah. who have been around you for, for a while that. that you know, they do miss things about the church that have changed. And I, I think it's okay to recognize that, yeah, that, that's, that is a sad loss because those things were good for the season of time in which God called us. But now we're at a point in time in our culture where things have changed. Uh, and, and we... Uh, not for the sake of change. And let me say this again, not not for the sake of growth. I mean, I I don't want to ever be accused of, as a pastor of like, all you care about is growth and change. Not at all. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is be focused on what God's focused on, which is again, the both and.
0: Yeah. So if our mission is helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ, uh, if you've listened this far, you've heard me say this at the beginning of every episode the next question I think is how we do that. Yep. So we've talked in this outro about Sandy's personal experience, uh, making her faith more her own, how we all need to do that. We've talked about our mission and vision a little bit. Uh, finally, let's talk about our strategy. Yep. Uh, if the mission is what, the strategy is how. And we would say that there are three cornerstones, a three-legged stool, okay. you might describe it, in terms of how we do ministry here that we gather and worship. We grow in faith, God's word, and we live God's mission. In fact, our uh, org chart for our staff is wrapped around those three ministry areas. You're in charge of one of them. You're a pastor here, but you're also our director of missional living, the Live God's Mission ministry area. Yep. And we heard Sandy and Steve talk about a precursor to what we're doing now. They talked about Supper 8, yeah. which is a way to do family. We've augmented that now in missional communities, which are f- about family, on mission. Tell us about those, Micah Steiner, if we're listening and we don't know anything about them. Yep.
1: Yeah, so the separate groups that Steve and Sandy were talking about were awesome. It was, it was uh, fellowship and sharing a meal and, and being with other Christians, which is so important. And that's actually a key aspect of missional communities. Every time you and I are in the same missional community, mm-hmm. MC, uh, we share a meal, potluck. Usually the the beef products go first. Uh, I've noticed that. I got to get in that line first to get the bacon or the beef. Yeah. What did we have last time? Um, was it soups and yeah, such? Soup and salad, yeah. kind of a theme. Or and something. mac and cheese and all that good stuff. I think
0: I brought some turkey chili. Oh, uh, that was you. Yeah. My that wife.
1: Was, my my wife made it. It was good. Yeah. Was yeah. Good. yeah. Uh, so we share a meal. Uh, we we share life that way. But then we add a few things to it. Number one, we pray for each other and we encourage each other in prayer. I don't think there's a missional community that has gone by where we have not in some way shared a prayer request for at least one person in our missional community, our family. Uh, Then we also are looking for ways in which God has brought together the unique passions and time and talents of our collective group to meet a spiritual or physical need in our community. So we're going up, relationship with God, in with each other, out to the community, and trying to uh, look for ways that that just ordinary ways in which God is using ordinary people to do ordinary things to make a lasting impact in His kingdom. So Supper 8, an average group for us is like 18 or 20. It's like Thanksgiving. You know, I I come from a bigger family. Not everybody does, but I've got lots of cousins, aunts and uncles, and it feels like Thanksgiving every time we, we gather, which is really cool. And I'm not best friends with all those people. I don't talk to
0: everybody deeply every night. Um, so there are some people you connect with more often, some people you don't. But what, I, what I've found is that there aren't, aren't people I would choose f- to hang out with necessarily, but they are all people now who have become family, yeah. who I love in ways I didn't love before.
1: Yeah. Uh, everybody's got an Uncle Steve. And if you don't know who your Uncle Steve is, you might be him. Yeah. So remember that. So Micah, if I
0: understand right, uh, we were talking the other day, 12 missional communities at Our Father, neighborhoods all over South Denver. That's more than 200 people, which is a third of the people who are in worship on a weekend right now. Uh, So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I would love to have a sense of family and a sense of purpose, a sense of mission. Missional communities are the way that we do family on mission in a way that we can't do when we gather and worship. Yeah.
1: So hit me up on uh, email. You can email me at info at OFLC.net. On the website, there's a direct way you can sign up if you go to OFLC.net um, and then go to the Live God's Mission tab. Oh. Yeah, huh. it's just easy like that.
0: I didn't know your, your email was info.
1: Well, I, I didn't want to share my email. <laughs> is that why you
0: haven't been responding to any of my emails for the last it, it, eight years? It actually is. <laughs> uh, it actually is why. Uh, but that's
1: how we can get in touch with you yes. if we're interested yeah. in that. You'll get pushed to be, yep. yep. Um, I, you know, I just realized though that, um, uh, you know, in our missional community, y- you and I get to do this together. We get to work together and then we get to be family together. It's great. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, this has been so fun to talk about this with you, Micah. Uh, if you want to talk about this, uh, we'll buy you a beer, yep. we'll buy you lunch, we'll buy you coffee. Uh, cause we love talking about these things, about mission, about missional communities, about our vision. And, uh, growing in faith and making it more and more our own. Mm -hmm. Everything we've talked about on this outro and we've heard from Sandy is really the heartbeat of uh, what this podcast is about and about why we're here as pastors at Our Father. Thanks for joining us. And for more stories like this, go to ourfatherlutheran.net slash stories.